Hello and welcome to In the Envelope, an awards podcast. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, the most trusted name in casting. I'm here to spotlight some of the most exciting film, television, and theater awards contenders working today. Who is in the running? What makes an awards-worthy performance? And how can you, my dear listener, win a statue of your own? We're sitting down for intimate, inspirational interviews with actors and artists to get that insider's perspective on these questions and more. It's an opportunity for some of today's most talented stars to share their craft and career advice, and maybe, just maybe, provide a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. When we see people who are acting with a pretension, you can see it and you go, I don't really want to be a part of that. Mm. But if you're you're seeing a performance that you feel is is truthful and is yeah. not led by vanity, mm. you're engaged in it. Yeah. And and that's that's the kind of work I want to see. So today, obviously, is Haley's episode, but the Tonys mm-hmm. happened yesterday, oh, yes. although we're recording this prior there to the award show. So yes. we're going to talk about the Tonys in Edgar's episode, which is coming out on Wednesday. Yeah, we're going to do a quick turnaround because we want to be topical. Yes. And we are an awards podcast, and the Tonys are one of the mo- four major awards that happen on my schedule. Yeah. This is the uh, the period piece episode. Yeah. How to act in a period piece mm. could be a subtitle of this episode. Yeah. But also, like, not like she, okay, so Haley Atwell is today's guest. She stars in the Stars uh, limited series Howard's End, and she's a pro and she's British. <laughs> and quite frankly, not to overgeneralize, <laughs> the British theater trained actors know their stuff yeah. and know exactly how to work with classic literature in particular. Mm. And, uh, me being a classic literature geek and a Shakespeare geek and even an E.M. Forster geek, I really enjoyed hearing uh, her take on how to take an old text and make it new, mm. how to not copy performances that have been done a bajillion times before of a performance uh, versus taking on new stuff and originating yeah. a role. Yeah, of course, the themes are timeless, but the delivery is going to change over mm-hmm. the years, you know, and obviously a different actor has a different perspective as well. Yeah, just by um, being yourself in the in in the now, in the contemporary, like for this Howard Zen is a great example, like everyone, it felt like 2018 and it felt like early 20th century. Yeah. And the Hetty McDa- McDonald, the director, she wanted no quote unquote period acting. Right. You know that thing where you see, you're watching like the people in their petticoats and their suits and it's just very stuffy and it's mm. very performative. Mm. And it's very like that. I'm not going to like do a bad British accent. No, I think you should do it in the British accent. I should do this whole thing yeah. in a British accent. Yeah, okay, Haley Atwell's voice is so gorgeous. It's so beautiful. It's very, like, very posh. It's so nice. Yeah, it is. It is, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you should be doing the intro for this whole episode because you. it's in keeping with the, <laughs> I mean, you know. Uh, it is where we do have to say there's a couple plot points that are important to say in terms of, for those who don't know Howard's End, the novel, which was written a century ago, or the 1992 film version starring mm. Emma Thompson yeah. in her Oscar winning role. Emma Thompson is one of my favorite actors. Yeah. 
But it's important to say that so Hayley Atwell plays Margaret Schlegel, who's the the leading character. She lives in early 20th century England. She's very headstrong. She's very she is modern, as mm-hmm. Haley kind of points out. She has a kind of a progressive romantic sister named Helen, who's played in this by Philippa Coltard. Um, and she becomes entangled in this lower class family, the Basts, and then in this upper class family, the Wilcoxes, including the um, patriarch of that family, whose name is Henry Wilcox, who's played by Matthew McFadden. McFadden? Mm. Ooh, I, again, with the last names. <laughs> I don't know how to say the last names. I think it's McFadden. I know someone Matthew McFadden. That's, what, that's yes. what I would say. And he, Could be wrong. I know him from that Pride and Prejudice film. Uh, oh, the remake? Yes. Right, yeah. So he also is a pro at adapting old literary classics mm. for the screen. It um, was interesting to hear about uh, the director's, she was somewhat of a stickler for the text, mm-hmm. seemingly, in a way. For uh, Kenneth Lonergan's text, because Kenneth right. Lonergan, who um, who wrote Man- who won an Oscar for writing Manchester by the Sea, he's mm. the one who adapted this, right. of all things. Mm. He's an American. Also, I didn't know this before the interview, I, I, I knew it right before the interview when I did my research for Haley, but Haley is half American. Right. Her dad is from America, so she's worldly. Yeah, and I liked hear I liked hearing about her childhood and about how she was like introspective and not exactly the the theater type. The in terms of the big brassy theater type, she was right. the introspective. Yeah, the intellectual, yeah. very intellectual, definitely. And what a treat to just hear about the process of someone who's this smart and this good at her job. She's brilliant. Some very practical uh, advice in this interview. Yeah. She, let's hear it because her her voice also is just very soothing. Uh, I love it. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by the Stars Original Limited series Howard's End. This fresh take on E.M. Forster's masterpiece stars Haley Atwell as Margaret Schlegel, an unconventional woman who, along with her sister, seeks love and meaning in early 20th century England. For your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Limited Series, Haley Atwell for Outstanding Actress in a Limited Series, and all other categories. An actress of stage and screen with roots in both England and America, Haley Atwell trained as a performer in her native London before breaking into Hollywood as Peggy Carter in Captain America the First Avenger and her subsequent spin-off series, Agent Carter. Now starring as Margaret Schlegel in Kenneth Lonergan and Hedy MacDonald's miniseries adaptation of Howard's End on Stars, Haley has made E.M. Forster's tale of class conflict in the early 20th century feel like the 21st century. Here it is, our interview with the exquisite Haley Atwell. And do you have it? I guess it's more, but it's American publication, isn't it? Well, it is, but I was just going to say, we are expanding to mm. London. We are growing our presence there, in fact, at a rather alarming rate at this point. Great. But we, we were started here, and we've had a, a presence on the West Coast, mm-hmm. and we're active throughout the U.S., but but London is our new... Yeah, fantastic, because there are so many American actors working in London. Yeah, and there's more film and TV opportunities there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. As well as all um, of the many Great. Theaters. I mean, I mean, we have the stage, which was, growing up, was my kind of understanding the publication of kind of, and yeah. like the Equity magazine and things like that. There were more kind of in-house publications, but that were more centered around theatre mm-hmm. and the theatrical Did community. you get jobs through those? 
No, mm. no. I so I after I trained at drama school, I in my showcase in my third year got an you agent, and so okay. it was from that really. That's yeah. what I figured. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you um. You said that you went to drama school instead of going to like Oxford. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That you purposefully failed your grade so that you didn't have to go to. You failed I your didn't tests? purposefully fail, fail oh. them. I just kind of. I felt as I was doing them, I was like, I don't want to study philosophy and theology for three years. I want to be an actor. And I kind of was, yeah. So I. Why I, philosophy and theology? Was the, that was just? On I the was table. good at it. Yeah. Like it was just. I I was I was kind of I had a. a I still have quite an analytical mind, mm. so an in kind of inquiring mind, I suppose. And so, philosophy in terms of like the, from the philosophy of language to the philosophy of religion, mm. they kind of cover the humanities in a way that I responded quite naturally to. So yeah. I just kind of found myself in those subjects as well as theatre. Right, because um, that adapts well to acting. Too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then when I kind of was doing my A levels, I just knew that I wanted to. So I kind of felt like fate was actually kind of mm. <laughs> making me kind of not do as well as I should have done. <laughs> I really should have done better than I did. Um, but I definitely see it as a kind of a, a huge gift because it meant mm-hmm. that I, I just went, right, I'm going to go do my degree in mm-hmm. theatre. Mm. Um, were you named after Haley Mills? I was, yeah. Are we really? on? Are we filming now? Yeah, I think so. Oh, we're recording. Amazing. I hope we're recording. Yeah. Um, you're named I after was. Haley Mills and you're yeah. half American. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't even right. know this. Yeah, my dad is from Kansas City, Missouri. How bizarre. Yeah. And you would go and you went I, yeah, often. Spent my kid. summers there. Yeah, still one of my best friends lives there. She's a lawyer in Kansas City and uh, I'm huh. godmother to her, her twin babies. Cool. Uh huh. Yeah. And but that was not how you were introduced to the Hollywood side of things. Like you didn't have a relationship to No. So I Hollywood. knew no one in the industry. Yeah. Um my parents loved film and theater, but mm. as audience members. Right. Um I was quite a shy kid, quite introverted, quite a ref- like thinker kid, mm. quite mm-hmm. re- reflective and partly maybe to do with being an only child and spending a lot of time in my bedroom by myself with mm, books. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but also spending a lot of time with just adults, really. Uh, so I t- did, wasn't into it as a kid. I was very nervous and shy. certainly wasn't kind of the jazz hands world that kind of like intimidated right. me a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to see, see these kind of natural young performers, I was like, that's amazing, but I'm, I'm you know, just uh, really shy. Yeah, cool. Um, and still am, to an extent. Um, I found like a, I found the work liberating. Mm. Um and helped me to. I remember feeling frustrated as a kid of not being able to express myself, of mm. having thoughts and feelings that I couldn't articulate and I couldn't find words for. And I'd get really frustrated with how inarticulate I was. And, mm. um, or often finding that adults or my peers would mis- misunderstand mm. me or not. Sure. It was this kind of longing to be understood, to be heard, to be seen, but lacking the tools. To, to do that, mm. that I think made me feel that when I would be able to get into the story of another character, it gave me tools I really felt like I was lo- looking for in my personal life in order to be able to say and express certain things mm. that I myself was struggling to come up with. somebody else's words. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But not in a jazz hands way. <laughs> no, no. Slightly more reflective. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mm. can see that in your performances. Mm. I think I think of you as an analytical actor, if right. that makes sense. Yeah. Your inner workings are evident on the screen. Oh, good. And watching yeah. you think is is like with all great actors, like that's the joy. Oh, is yeah. watching you react. There's something going on and think absolutely, behind, yeah. and sometimes guessing what that is. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. Is fun. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes honest. I'm trying to guess and f- figure it out as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not always hiding any kind of secret. I'm always just generally don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm sure. Not thinking about it, so I'm doing it. Um, yeah. The, <laughs> but you're hopefully thinking about it in character. Exactly. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, I think that was helpful with playing someone, playing any kind of 
stage role uh, or classic piece of literature or mm. literary adaptation. There's so much, mm -hmm. there's a wealth of resources uh, at our disposal in terms of the amount of preparation that we can do uh, and research into the world of it and mm. the the society at that particular time or what we think the writer is conveying and where mm. we're going to pitch the moment of her emotional climax or mm. where we're going to make choices here in certain deliveries from one line to the next. And oh. and for me, with it's when it comes from stage work or it comes from literary adaptations, it just presents itself with so much more options as an actor. Um, mm. Rather than going, I step on my mark, I say my line in a kind of a mumbling, cool, naturalistic way, and then I oh, uh, yeah. look kind of cool, and then I leave and go home. Like To me, that's not acting. I didn't, no, I, I it's find more that, surface level. It's more surface yeah. level, and I didn't want to do roles that were just purely exposition, just delivering like plot lines. Modeling. It's more like modeling. Though. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I kind of had a restless mind to want to be good at this craft and had respect for it, and the... Actors that I admired uh, seemed to be mm. kind of fully formed humans, yes. and um, and I wanted the I wanted the challenge of taking on kind of interesting material um, and that revered language. Mm. Um, just to help me kind of engage in 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 life in general better. I think sure, and this, that's interesting. You say literary adaptations because I. I suppose you are sort of an expert in that field because you've done plenty, but that's also typical of most British actors. They end up in a lot of stage stage or screen yeah. adaptations of classic literature. Yeah, I mean, especially um, I think we we do a lot of adaptations in the UK. Uh, there's a and a lot of the kind of the. I suppose the approach to theatre is very much uh, reverence to the text and to the writer, yeah. and mm. they are the kind of the most important person in the room, even if yeah. they're not living. Yeah. Um, cool. That you go back to the text and you serve it. It's mm -hmm. very much in the British kind of mentality of you. It's not about your own personality, and this cult of celebrity is actually detrimental to the work of being an actor because it's sure. not. It's the least interesting part of what you have to offer. Mm -hmm. But having a skill set that it requires. Um, requires uh, analysis and respect for the text of what the writer is trying to say and then making mm. choices within that world, within those um, very kind of key points that you think the writer wants and is trying to say. You know, you want to kind of mm. make choices and interpretations of the language but make it feel so plausible that you're not working against what the writer is saying and asking of you. Mm. Um, and we do that. I mean, we, we also do a lot of, uh, apart from kind of our soap operas, mm -hmm. a lot of the work that we do, the scripts are written before you begin. So you have the six-part series or oh. the ten-part series. You know what's going to happen over the course of it, mm. which means you, in preparation I can pitch where and what the character is doing gotcha. at any given time. Mm. But when you're creating material that's being written as you go along yeah. and you'll not be filming it as it's also being written, mm -hmm. it's... Um, you have to kind of use a different kind of kind of mindset of just kind of letting go, yeah, and letting the word speak for itself. But it, it I find it quite uh, disabling, in that I don't feel like I am having much of a say of what I'm doing because I can't make sure. choices as easily. Well, yeah, and I want to get to Peggy Carter because that feels like such a shift. Mm. It's such an unusual background for an actor to have to step into the Marvel universe, essentially. Yeah. But the, going back to the the individual changes you're making to, you know, you're interacting with the text in that way and making those choices. Mm -hmm. When it's something like Shakespeare, where it's been done hundreds of times before, yeah, is part of the research and of part of, of making that those organic choices, those yeah. an organic performance. Is it 
do you have to take into account these other adaptations, these other versions? Yes. I mean, if they are available, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, th- I see a lot of theatre myself. Um, mm-hmm. As an example, you know, the Hamlet that's just been done in the West End with a director called Rob Ike, who I, I think is an exceptional Mm. contribution to British theatre at the moment. Um, and he is very much inspired by the works of Ivo van Hove. And mm. his his Hamlet that Andrew Scott did, which was four hours long, mm-hmm. I saw three times. <gasps> wow. And I felt like I was seeing it new. And mm. that's always useful to me because I, fi- I find that's very inspiring. Um, oh, yeah. And there, f- there's, there's, one, there's one, one example of um, his level of detail, which makes you kind of go wow there's real there's still really great scope in every kind of classical mm. text to breathe new life into it is um you know the scene where ophelia is or hamlet's talking to her about women are born with one face and then they pass to themselves with makeup mm-hmm. and they become something else and they're liars you know and he's of course it's all about his mother and not feeling that she's mm-hmm. on his side and and in shaming ophelia and that kind of confrontational scene Andrew, uh, playing Hamlet, grabbed this vase that had flowers in it and threw it at Ophelia's face and kind of wiped all the makeup off of her face. Mm. And so the rest of the scene, she's kind of covered in smeared mascara and she's visually shaken by the the, the mm. violent act that he's done. And then the scene continues. And then what I noticed on the second, by this only the second mm. time seeing it, is the actress playing Ophelia was directed very subtly, very quietly, while the scene with other characters is being played out, to just slowly pick up the vase to put it back on the table mm. of which it was dropped and start to pick up the flowers. And she looks <gasps> at the flowers oh. and there's this like slightly glazed over look and then she just very slowly exits the stage. And I remember seeing it going, <gasps> this director has pitched the beginning of her it's breakdown at that point. And yeah. the next time we see her, she's had a breakdown and, and she's discussing the flowers. flowers. Yeah. And oh, wow. So that for me was so exciting because it's not just going, you know, um, I will speak in iambic pentameter and I will speak with an actor's yeah. voice, blah, blah, blah. It just makes it human and it makes everything feel mm-hmm. like there's nuance and there's detail in it. Yeah, and I've, God, I've seen Hamlet so many damn times and it, it is one of those things where if you can create a production that feels like you're seeing it for the first time, that's some kind of miracle. He used the uh, music of, Bo- of Bob Dylan in it. Oh, cool. This is was it he, set in... It's set in modern time uh-huh. and suddenly I wasn't watching politics on stage. I was watching a family. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, you know he used he used um, he used projection and he used you know uh, the characters were in the audience at one point and you you think that they're the, when they're watching the you know the play within the play yes. mm-hmm. they're being filmed and then what in the the characters sat in the audience with the actual audience and then you see that projected, projected. up there oh, and cool. it's a close up of their reaction to them watching the play within the play mm-hmm. and so so what he was great at doing is using modern modern technology and using filming and using mm-hmm. cameras and in, and uh adding that so it just felt like it was modern that it didn't have to be kind of corsets and mannered acting but that it mm-hmm. opened up to how we how we tell stories today and incorporating all sure. the technologies for it. So mm. even if a text is very old, there's still there are definitely just ways of bringing yourself to it and bringing your own choices to it and making it modern just by being a making it contemporary just by you being a contemporary person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's what they I think that's why that's what Shakespeare's for is to make mm. them they're, they're human. Mm-hmm. You take away the pomp and pomps and pomp and reverence of it. Yeah. You actually hear what he's saying, understand what he's saying, and it's very human. Yeah. And I, I think when Shakespeare's told well, uh, 
a 12-year-old with no understanding of Shakespeare can follow it and yeah. can follow it beautifully. And we'll sure. still laugh in the right places yeah. and still we'll feel, it will engage with it. Um, and often I think there's sometimes an actor's kind of need to to play Shakespeare often gets mm. in the way of just doing it. Like the, the desire to be a Shakespearean actor and, and you kind of act like a Shakespearean actor yes. as opposed to being truthful and... Mm knowing what you're saying mm -hmm. and what the character is saying and what it what each of the words mean mm -hmm. and knowing that the rhythm will teach you how to say it it's like a piece of music yeah. oh absolutely you follow the notes and mm -hmm. it, it you, you see where those moments of climax happen and those you see where the comedy comes in the timing of things come in he writes it as a score i think that's what makes great writing mm. if it's if it's more like music than anything else and that's why it stands the test of time mm. And that's why people can kind of revisit and revisit and revisit. Yeah, exactly. Um, Howard's End is another example of um, a text that's, that has stood the test of time. But this adaptation, which is coming to stars, mm -hmm. it does feel almost as though it says a lot about 2018. Mm. And mm. it reminds me of what you're saying about, like, of course, you have to bring your uh, revisiting a a text in that way, it feels like a refreshing, it's very much honoring the original text, yeah. but it's almost both a reverence for the text and a yeah. irreverence. Like, a, yes, let's the, yeah. reassess. Let's Absolutely. Yeah. I think that was what Kenny's, uh, Kenny Lonergan, who adapted it, mm -hmm. and of course, Oscar winner of Manchester by the Sea yes, and known for his uh, his kind of human interactions yeah. and very writing very emotionally connected human mm. relationships. Mm -hmm. And as an American uh, dealing with a very British novel, I think added that gave life to it without making it too kind of uh, just yeah making it too reverent. Was able to mm. kind of see it with fresh eyes and yeah. also co to, to also just uh, give it a lightness of touch that it needs. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. And I yeah I think it's. We had this director, brilliant, brilliant director, Hetty MacDonald, who had mm -hmm. actually worked with Kenny back at the Royal Court Theatre in in London when they were in their 20s. And oh. so they'd come from the same background. But she'd say things to me like, Kenny's written that with a comma, not <gasps> as a statement. So let's honour that. And I love stuff like that. I know. Ugh. And as a nerd, I'm like, I love it. Yes. And it teaches it's you how to say It's not a semicolon, it. it's a it's, comma. It's a comma. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's play the comma. Ugh. And... And cool. then you think, that's how specific Kenny is. There's no fat on this script. It is lean. Mm. Every line and every mm. punctuation is there for a reason. And if you tell it as it's written, with the rhythm and the pace of which it's asking you to take, take to tell it, mm. that's how you know. That's when the scene opens up, so you know, it becomes alive. And mm -hmm. it's it's like playing playing an instrument. And, um, I you know, I think it's... It's why it's uh, you know Hetty was was adamant on set. She kept on going. If I see any period drama acting, oh. I'm going to stop you. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. And so sometimes she just co uh, cut. And she was always very, she was always very calm, mm. consistently cool. Uh, there's no ego on set at all. There was mm. just what do we say? What's Kenny saying here? And what? Why has he chosen to, to make Margaret cry here? Because in the mm -hmm. book, there's no mention of that. She's very, mm. very much focused on what the story was and mm. how to tell the story best. But she would say things like, um, "I, uh, no, I don't believe that. I don't no, do it again. I don't, I don't believe it." Or she That's would an go, "Interesting piece of direction to say." Yeah, I don't, believe I don't. Believe, but it wasn't like, uh, I don't. It wasn't a power <laughs> trip. It wasn't yeah. a game of like, "I'm going to shame you." Sure. I'm going to. What it was was, I respect you enough to tell you that I don't think we've hit it, and mm -hmm. you can hit it. So mm. let's 
do the work. Mm-hmm. And it was a respect for the work. And so I mm-hmm. found it very reassuring because I don't like working with directors who would, f- you feel that are trying to so hard to take care of my feelings that they can't give me clear direction. Oh, yeah. I don't need someone who's effusive and I don't want someone who's going to be like, that was amazing. <laughs> I just want someone to tell me, yeah. yeah, I think we've got it and we can move on and trust that mm-hmm. I've done my work and mm-hmm. I'm just doing a good job. Mm-hmm. And then, so she would say at one point, um, we were doing, I think it was like the fourth day of filming. We shot the most emotionally climactic part of the whole series, yeah. which is in episode four. So mm-hmm. we shot the end in the first week. Oh, wow. And I was giving it my all and um, and she just came up to me and I was I was kind of expecting her to be like, that was amazing. We're, we're brilliant. <laughs> but she came up to me and she just went, uh, no, <gasps> no, 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 take, just uh, take the emotion out of it. Try appeal to appeal to him rather than you know be in an emotional state. Oh, appeal, uh-huh. appeal to him more, and then hmm. and you're like, oh, that's so great. And then you do it, and you go, oh yeah, that makes more sense. And oh, then as cool. soon as it's as soon as the take happened, she just goes, yes, okay, moving on. And you know, the moving on is the greatest compliment you can yeah. get from her, is oh, because cool. you go, you've got it, that's clear. And I felt that it was um, huh. she treated me like an adult. Yeah, and I loved that kind of direction. That is so interesting because that scene is what I think of as the arc of your character. There's plenty of emoting throughout, but there's not intense, heavy emoting until that scene. Mm-hmm. Or it's, you know, until the story requires it in that kind of climactic moment. Yeah. But I the th- here that you restrained, yeah. you had to. Well, you know, it's the classic things of going, it's often a lot more moving to watch someone trying not to cry than yes. crying. Oh, yes. And um, that's what we do in real life is that we, you know, a lot of the time we're trying to hold it together. Mm. And that's, I think, more interesting to watch because you're seeing a tension between what you want to do and what you're trying not to mm. do. There's a, it's a, it's, I think that's really fascinating watch rather than just someone weeping. Mm. And, um, yeah, and I think there's, instead of playing, you know, we also get into the habit of playing emotional states, mm. uh, which can be very reductive and very in- self-indulgent as actors. Uh, and if you kind of go you see a lot of actors, and myself included in the early days, being absolutely guilty of this, of just kind of playing a, an emotion mm. rather than being specific about what that character's doing in that scene. Mm. So with that scene with Henry Wilcox, for example, to weep and cry, all those things mm. are ultimately not going to get what she wants from him. She's got to convince him to, you know, to get. She's got. She wants something from him, mm-hmm. so she's going to find the tactics that that the best tactics that she can possibly can mm. to convince well, Mr. Wilcox of giving her what she's wanting. And knowing him, he's going to respond much more to his rational mind, his intellect, his Mm -hmm. argument, and she has to up her game Mm. in meeting him there so that he will respond from where he's at. And also knowing that in that moment, it's not about her and her emotions. Mm. She's fighting for her sister. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's, that's, that's a playing of a scene rather than mm-hmm. me having an indulgent moment as in playing a generalized yeah. emotional state. Got it. Yeah. yeah. It's active. We as actors, we act. Therefore, mm. we're, we, are, we are using tactics. We are finding ways to deliver a line in order to affect change in a scene. Yeah. Um, whether that's big or small, um, and I, hmm. you know, to, to keep it, to keep, to keep it as active as possible. I mean, I remember working with Ray Fiennes once on The Duchess, and he was, mm-hmm. 
you know, there's the director was like, I think, you know, you're, I think you're angry in this scene. And he, he was like, well, how do you want my anger to manifest? Because I could show you my anger in the way that I, mm. I uh, stir my tea. Or I could show it mm-hmm. in a violent uh, kind of expression. But mm-hmm. to be specific about it, you know, you, you find that uh, the details of, you know, a great actor will, you can see that by the way they're, you know, um, stirring sugar in their tea, that they are passively aggressive and want to actually whack that teacup mm. you know, over someone's head. Or if they're using, you know, they're trying to seduce the person that they're opposite with the seductive way in which mm. they're stirring their tea, for mm-hmm. example. There are all mm-hmm. these kind of subtle things that you can do as an actor to convey the story and the subtext of the story. Mm. And sometimes the most obvious choice, which is that kind of pool of just one emotion, that an, maybe an actor can sometimes be like, well, in this scene, I must be sad, and therefore I'm just sad. Yeah. That often that obvious thing is just not as compelling. Well, it doesn't do anything, because yeah. what what, what kind of sadness is it? What, mm-hmm. what is it? What's it about? Is is it a sadness that f- makes you want to put the duvet over your head and 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 mm. physically not express express anything? Is it a kind of sadness that calls for some sort of release? Is it a sadness that can be directed at something? Mm. Um, uh, is it a sadness that you have to conceal because you're in public? It, so much uh, is about context mm-hmm. um, and how in that moment the character is going to get what they want from the scene with the choice of expressing or choosing not to express certain things. Mm-hmm. Mm. Objectives. It's all about objectives. Yeah. It's all about obstacles. It's all about um, intentions. I love the idea that yeah. you, as y- your character, had to understand wh- how an argument was going to win him over. Mm. So your character has to know him, which she does very well. Yeah, yeah. And you know maybe the character understands... On some level, that yeah, weeping and crying is not going to be an effective tactic. Absolutely, and and sometimes also it's very easy to fall back and like I'm just going to say this in an aggressive, defensive way. Mm-hmm. And if you're trying to get something from someone, you're less you likely to get it to if them. you sound defensive. Sure. And it's also quite a reductive thing because it doesn't mm. move the scene forward. So, mm. uh, you know, and Margaret is also someone who's the message of the story and, and certainly the tagline of the opening of the book is that Ian Forster had printed is only connect. Mm-hmm. So Margaret is always trying to reach out and appeal and to connect and mm. be changed by the people around her. Mm. So she's going to think about the, the their circumstances and yeah. their way of thinking yeah. and appeal to that, appe- trying to appeal to how they see the world mm. um, in order to create any sort of change or connection with them. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the time it's very little to do with Margaret and what Margaret wants. She's thinking outside of totally. herself yeah. a lot of the time. She's very observant too mm. and very empathetic. Mm. And he... In my opinion, he's a scumbag a lot of the time, <laughs> where he does things that are really despicable. And that scene where he really won't yield mm. is—I mean, obviously, it's—it's it's symbolic of—it's almost a feminist point on one level, and it's—it's it's symbolic of many of the failings of the upper middle class rich British guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the good writing there is that she is so selfless that she's not going to. I feel like that story could have ended with her being like, I'm leaving you forever. I'm never going to talk to you again. How dare you? Absolutely. But 
And I think it's a very good point. I think what Henry is, is he is a man of his time. And we yeah. can't shame or vilify him of being someone who has been brought up in an environment where that behavior has been enabled and encouraged. Mm -hmm. And he is, as a man, emotionally constipate, constipated. Mm -hmm. But also he's in, been brought up in a society to be told that men should not dabble in the world of emotions and imagination, that they should provide for their family mm -hmm. and have rational thought and be productive. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. what I think he says brilliantly, you know, he, she says to him, you know, she's talking about kind of the sunlight on the water of the Thames that she's enjoying and mm. he says something kind of dismissive or not dismissive but just kind of doesn't really see it in that way and she goes you know you do have the you do have a way of taking the poetry out of everything Mr Wilcox mm. and his responses are but that sunlight on the water that you so enjoy the reason why that is there is because my company has been able to uh, raise the water level mm. of the Thames through this dam system that we've created mm -hmm. for shipping. Mm -hmm. And that shipping, which is creating jobs and it's creating trade and it's helping our economy that's lifted the, the tide, has meant that y the particular reflection of the sunlight is something that you can enjoy in its, in its poetry. Mm. And so what he's doing is he's a po appealing to her rational mind mm -hmm. and she is appealing to his emotional intelligence. Mm. And so they are people of their time. And I, I don't... I, I, I think it would be obvious and reductive mm -hmm. for her at the end to go, I'm leaving you. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's something that uh, is a kind of, I, I find it's too simplistic to do that. Mm -hmm. And I find it's also contemptible to do that because Ooh. she says, and I think this is very evolved and why I love her. She, you have Helen going, he's despicable. He mm. is a capitalist. Mm -hmm. He doesn't value art and literature. He won't help people like the Basts. Mm -hmm. uh, and she's very, very liberal, Helen. And she can't believe why I would be interested in a man like this. Mm. And I'm sure at, the t at, at this moment, the audiences will feel the same way. Right. However, Modern from, audiences. Yeah, and they're going, is she settling? Is mm. she, you know, with him, with him for the money? What could she possibly see is in this Is she genuinely man? interested in him? That is Is she genuinely interested yeah. in him? Exactly. And she says, I will not use his soul as raw materials to fashion myself a husband based mm. on what I want in someone. Mm. That would be contemptible and unfair. Mm. And that she says she does not believe that any man or woman can be all of her life. There are heaps of things within, within her that he will never fully understand. Mm -hmm. She says, I would go as far to say that morally um, he is not as honest as I am. Surely that I, the awareness that I have of his character is enough for you, Helen, to understand right. that I will not set out to change this man, that I see him. Mm. And the fact that there is room in this relationship for opposing sides... And for Absolutely. very and big differences, and she's not appealing to the romantic notion that there is the one, the ideal, the yeah. perfect partner, which causes so much suffering um, in the world uh, <laughs> and distress. Because you think, well, what if I never meet the person that completes me? Right. And she's mm. going, she doesn't believe that anyone can. Right. It's a very modern idea, actually, isn't yeah, it? Absolutely. But yeah. she's also not going, you know, down with men. I'm going to be an independent <laughs> woman. She's going. I see enough of enough in him that I find fine, that mm. I find yeah. is fascinating. That he, mm -hmm. he the way that he w moves in this world, he creates jobs. He allows this world to work as it does. Mm -hmm. And what I enjoy in it, I imparto to him. 
This episode of Backstage's In the Envelope is brought to you by the Star's original limited series, Howard's End. This fresh take on E.M. Forster's masterpiece stars Haley Atwell as Margaret Schlegel, an intelligent, idealistic young woman who is courted by Henry Wilcox, an older conservative businessman, after his wife dies unexpectedly. For your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Limited Series, Haley Atwell for Outstanding Actress in a Limited Series, and all other categories. I have to ask about Tracy Ullman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm obsessed with her. Mm-hmm. And I imagine you are too. I am. Who isn't? <laughs> yeah. What was it like? Did you know her? Did you had you met her? I before? only I grew up watching her show as a kid mm-hmm. and I knew that she had had has this extraordinary career over here mm. uh, that she, you know, in part was one of the reasons why we have The Simpsons. Totally. Um, that she was creating. I know. <laughs> she was creating material very much on her own terms. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that what she was able to achieve from who she was and where she came from, uh, I find so inspiring. Yeah. Um, and she's what we call in London or England a good egg. She's <laughs> yes. she's just a good lass, you know. She's who she is. Uh, I can't imagine her personality's changed um, from when she began to being now. I mean, if anything, it would probably be, you know, maybe more sassy and sophisticated. But mm. essentially, who she is seems to be very true to who who where she comes from. Mm. And she ha- she's she's always watching people, always taking them in, oh, cool. being able to uh, do an impression, figure she out their body really, language, yeah, their their cool. tone, and. Um, uh, you know, and it's uh, we're really lucky to have her. I think. Um, but you met her in the context of like a period piece, which I, I know don't think she does very often. No, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and and she loved it, and she was kind of wanting. You know, we didn't want to kind of make. You know, with Aunt Julie, her comedy <laughs> lies in how well-meaning she is and how badly she executes mm, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and this kind of complete lack of self-awareness. Suggesting that she's like you, you, you girls need me. Uh-huh. We're going. You're actually the last thing we need because, in fact, having you around Aunt Judy just leads to mayhem and uh-huh. confusion. <laughs> and yet she can't see that. You know, she has yeah. such great intentions, and that's where the comedy of that character is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that line where Aunt Judy says, "Like all the strange people you have around here, you know, shaven, unshaven oh. musicians, <laughs> actresses, even it's just not the thing, Helen." And you know, I love. You know, I love that. That was a great Tracy. Voice. <laughs> <laughs> um, may I ask also about this the film version of mm. Howard's End? First of all, have you seen it? Did you watch it before, you know, after getting this part? No, I'd I'd seen it years seen it, previously, yeah. and I, I loved all of Merchant Ivory's films, mm-hmm. so I'd seen them all. And Emma was it still remains my mate, good friend oh, of mine. Uh-huh. So she played my mother in something ten years ago, mm-hmm. and she was almost my kind of she's kind of like a head girl, like a naughty head girl, like she's someone that is brilliant at organizing, getting things done, making sure everything's yeah. a really happy, good, productive working environment. Mm-hmm. But she's also the kind of the someone that you have a naughty little gossip with and have a good time with and, <laughs> you know, kind of uh, just, you know, have raucous parties and um, mm-hmm. dance on roof, on, on tabletops with. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, so I, when I called her to say, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, and she uh-huh. said she was so happy for me because she said... 
Oh, you are going to love playing Margaret Schlegel. Mm. She's one of the great roles for women. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as a humanitarian and a feminist herself, seeing E.M. Forster as one of literature's first great feminists, Mm -hmm. she was just like, it's so great that women and actresses like you are being able to have the opportunity to play people like her. Mm. We want to see more Margarets in the world and and represented. And um, then she said, you know, don't watch mine. We should never do that. Uh, (laughs) In the same ah. way that, you know, and she'd never watched like Angela Lansbury's Beauty and the Beast. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Perception. Like, mm. Mem is just going to do her own thing. Mm. Because also, if you do that, you fall into a feeling of resting on almost Im- trying to impersonate someone, or which is not them. truthful. Yeah. And it gets, yeah. it's unnecessary because the text, the, the script is all you need and your own mm-hmm. skill set and your own experience and your gotcha. own instinct really should be that you should be owning it. It's a way of owning what you're doing rather mm-hmm. than going, what did, how did they, then you're kind of diluting something and you're not trusting mm-hmm. yourself. Um, so I didn't watch it again. And I mm-hmm. uh, I just made sure that, that there was that kind of, I mean, Margaret, as I said before, is so present that mm-hmm. I wanted to be very present with the other actors yeah. that we'd banter and chat and giggle and laugh and do pranks on each other in mm-hmm. between takes. Because I think there is there is a value in not taking yourself seriously, but taking the work seriously. Sure, sure. And I and I it I'm 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 really dismayed if I ever come in contact, which is very very seldom, with an actor who is very much in their own world and and you know, mm. wants to get into their own state mm-hmm. before a take. And I I kind of go, but I'm here and you're talking to me, yeah. and I'll feed back to you, yeah. and we will connect with each other and that will together take the scene somewhere but if you're in your own world doing your scene mm. and I'm doing my scene there's a disconnect totally and I don't I don't see the point of yeah. that I find it very a very deadening experience mm-hmm. whatever the you know the result of it is to an audience but um yeah. You know, so I kind of, and I felt that that's because that's what Margaret is. She wants to connect with people. So I was Mm. kind of encouraging us all to have a good time. Mm -hmm. Well, it's that overly reverent attitude almost of like... That preciousness, that kind of... Yeah. I find like pretension and snobbery. Especially in a period piece. Yeah, it it kills it. Totally kills it because who connects to people? When we see people who are acting with a pretension, you can see it and you go, I don't really want to be a part of that. Mm. But if you're... You're seeing a performance that you feel is is truthful and is yeah. not led by vanity. Mm. You're engaged in it, and yeah. um, and that's that's the kind of work I want to see. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Can I ask about your spirituality? Yeah, and how I, it relates to your acting, if oh it does. God. Has anyone ever asked you about this? Because you, I mean, you had such an unusual upbringing in terms mm. of your your, and you, I didn't know that you were going to study theology. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, do you have like a do you have like a set? This is my. These are my beliefs, and this is how it affects my work. Or um, are they unrelated? The only belief I have is that uh, I uh, that I, I that life is richer when you live in the question, or live in, or embrace the mystery of not knowing. Mm. So, um, yes. yeah, just um, uh, that. Justine Garder, who's this kind of philosophical writer who wrote this wonderful kind of children's book, an introduction to philosophy called Sophie's World. Quoted, mm. I th- I can't remember who it was. He quoted a philosopher, Marvin Sartre, I think it was, who said something like, "If our brains were uh, simple for us to understand, we'd be so stupid we wouldn't understand them after all." Like this kind of sense that mm. 
We know also that we use such a small percentage of our brain that there's so much we don't know. Mm. And the beginning of you know, Socrates saying, wisest is he who knows he does not know, mm. that, that beginning mm. to be the path of wisdom, that surrendering to this unknown gives us an opportunity to learn and gives us a, a humility that mm. we're just, we're limited and therefore we should just constantly be opening ourselves up to questions rather than living in absolutes. Yeah, um, cool. So... Yeah, I mean, I think my, you know, my background is, I suppose, uh, a, um, what's the word? It's kind of a, it's, 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 yeah, I suppose unconventional. I mean, it's. Is it hippie? <laughs> no, because no. I, I don't, I, yeah, I've done kind of, you know, when I was nine, I did a fire walk and I oh, did like a, okay. I've done sweat lodges with my dad and yeah, okay. um, his, he was very involved in kind of um, shamanism and wanted mm -hmm. to understand that and f has a spirituality of his own and my mum too. And they met on a Dale Carnegie workshop in the 70s called How to Win Friends and Influence People. So uh, that was very much that uh. wave in the 70s came over from the States of like um, of Warner Earhart and, and Landmark and mm. Est forum workshops, which were mm. uh, meant to be like personal transformation workshops mm -hmm. where you take responsibility for who you are in the world yeah. and certain narratives that you've gotten stuck on, certain belief systems that have enabled you to just carry on stagnating in having low self-esteem or sure. playing being playing a victim mm -hmm. or, um, you know, uh, going okay I uh, you know I can't do what I want to do and I can't achieve my dreams because of the childhood I had and thinking that those are quite limited beliefs and mm. so that being about kind of personal empowerment of breaking down those things mm. um so it's kind of exposed to a bit of that really which is probably where my analytical analytical mind and my interest in philosophy comes from mm. um and I I think it's also you know I met a lot of people from different walks of life and growing up in inner city London um, mm -hmm. and being brought up in social housing, not coming from privilege. Right. Um, my mom didn't go to university. Uh, my grandparents very much working class background. Um, and mm. yet living in social housing in the next road to mansions in Notting Hill and mm -hmm. going to a private school when I was younger and then going to an inner city state school for ah. the rest of my education. Mm -hmm. And then going into the acting industry, which has all walks of life in mm. it. And cool. um, this kind of feeling, yeah, the feeling hugely enriched mm -hmm. by uh, having my mind opened up to different people. And as an actor, it's essential to, to be open to it because mm. we. I don't think it's my job to comment on what I as Haley, think of my character but to mm. just serve that character, to be a kind of custodian of their point of view. So, you know, in, in England, we're not generally not not as af not afraid to play villains. Mm. You know, that kind of thing of, you often have you cast an English person as a baddie. It might be something <laughs> to do with, you know, the way that we speak or whatever can sound <laughs> scary or intimidating. Ah. But the, um, you know, what I'm interested in doing is being able to play not just people who have these kind of, not just the heroine or the voice of good in a story. It's yeah. also uh, my job to play someone who is, you know, morally ambiguous or, mm. you know, sociopathic or just, sure. you know, I've just finished a play in London called Deep, um, Dry Powder, written by a New Yorker called Sarah Burgess. Yes. And I was playing a character who was, um, uh, worked in high finance 
and she's described by another male ca- character as um, a vampire with sociopathic tendencies. <laughs> and what I loved about this character is that she was, comp- she was unapologetic. Mm-hmm. You never see her going. I'm like this because when I was young, this happened to me. She's right. she does uh, she just. She knows that she's really good at her job and she sleeps really well at night. She's Mm. totally transparent. She's like, I buy companies, I rip them apart, I lose lose loads of jobs that are completely pointless in her point of view, and I make tons of money for Mm. the owners of the company and then sell it on for more money and make money. That's what I do and I'm really good at it. It sounds like selflessness or like humility is a tool in in your in one's acting arsenal. Mm. Like, it's almost the Margaret thing of, like, by being able to listen to other people and respond and and put the energy outside yourself, Mm. not make it about you, Mm. that creates the most compelling performances because... Well, yeah, I mean, it increases your range, for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you know, this character, for example, um, there seems to be... Every time her boss shouts at her for being really bad at personal relations and Mm. she comes across as very rude and blunt all the time, but she can't see, she's just like, I'm just doing my job. I'm just Mm -hmm. telling you how it is. And he's like, public relations is really important. So Mm. you have to be kind, like you have to be good at, um, you know, sales with people. And she's just bad at it. And so I kept on seeing in the script that she says the word, I apologize. And it's repeated at kind of comic kind of very funny times uh, and I was like oh I think the choice that I want to make here is that she's going oh my boss is shouting at me he's frow- he's doing that frowny thing <laughs> and he's getting a bit red in the cheek so that's yeah. my cue to say the words I apologize <laughs> and then he'll let me just get on with my job and stop yeah, shouting at me cool. and that became funny so as it was repeated mm-hmm. later on in the play the audience was starting to find it funnier and funnier gotcha. because they go oh yeah she doesn't mean I'm sorry right. she's not sorry yeah but cool that was great and that's not something I you know I would do but it was right. I love being able to make choices like that because yeah. later down the line you're piecing together characteristics that the audience later on feel like becomes a bit of an in-joke sure you know, and that's God, that's, that's craft you know yeah. that's you know that's being able to be outside of your own self and not reduce the text to your personality yeah and yourself and you 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 it's not about you yeah you're playing someone else well, and that's a, such a great example of a fusion of an actor bringing something to a role and a writer bringing something to a role. Like the text was there for you to play with, mm-hmm. but you brought that choice to it, mm-hmm. kind of made it yeah. pop in that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It also makes her more palatable as a character because if you play her, mm. you play her so cold. Yeah, uh, she becomes a little hard to take. You want to kind of, if you're watching a villain, I think mm. audiences want to love to to love to hate that person. Yeah. So there's got to be something in her that I, you know, that 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 was kind of funny. Like her lack of self-awareness was yeah. funny. And yeah, I made sure that it was like Iago. Iago has to be um, almost appeal to the audience. Yeah. Otherwise, he's just completely. It's not even fun that he's just manipulating everyone and being nasty. Absolutely. Well, because he has the most fun. lines in the in the text and all these soliloquies yeah. that he does. He mm-hmm. has to have some sort of engagement with the audience where mm-hmm. they kind of. Yeah, they love to hate him, Maybe or they just want to follow. To follow they want to see him yeah. played out, yeah. although they don't necessarily agree with who he is. Yeah. Right, like they accidentally see themselves in him. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe that's the key to playing a good villain: is to like, yeah, audiences to be like, oh, I'm oh, relating to God, that evil I person. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> or, oh, I wish I could actually do that. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, you get to indulge all those impulses yeah. as an actor. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's that's awesome. liberating. Um, 
acting advice. We're all about the acting advice right <laughs> backstage. Um, sometimes I like to ask, like, if you could go back in time and give your early career self one piece of advice, what would that be? Um, relax. Mm. Mm-hmm. Breathe. Yeah. Um, just take a minute. There's a... There is sometimes a misconception that as an actor you've got to uh, you've got to get it and got to know it quickly and you've got to get to as, as you know as successful as you possibly can and you've got to and it's it really takes time to learn a skill mm. and I used to be very frustrated that I again like when I was younger. Of like I know what I want to say, or I know, but I don't know how to make a choice, or mm. I don't know how to interpret this text for myself, or I don't know how to engage the audience, and I I feel really stiff and I feel self conscious, like all these things that we feel, especially when we're young actors and we're very much in kind of been doing this as an apprenticeship and learning. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. That giving ourselves the time to actually learn something that's a skill set, yeah, and that that requires time. You know, if you if you go, you know, a dentist, doctor, a lawyer, uh, a teacher, any other job requires study mm. and requires um, patience mm -hmm. and discipline and qualifications yeah. in order to be good at it. Yeah. And acting is an odd one because it's a creative art. Sometimes people go, oh, well, I can be an actor. Oh, I'm an actor then. And Right. But I it's go, not overnight. It's not overnight. No. And no, it, sh it shouldn't be either. No. And that there is time and that there are parts that you, that are available to you at different stages of your life and your development. Mm. And so don't be hard on yourself if you're not getting there. Or Yeah, just keep keep looking outward and keep mm. looking at and surround, like looking at work that you regard as great. Mm. And be inspired by that, and be inspired by the amount of hard work that it that it takes to look to make it look that easy. Yeah. Um, only yeah. connect. Only connect. <laughs> <laughs> Keep looking outward is actually really that's a really brilliant piece of advice, and it sort of brings us all full circle because mm -hmm. it's very Margaret Margaret Schlegel yeah. thing to say. <laughs> nice and Ian Forster. Well. Yeah, totally. <laughs> we didn't talk about Peggy Carter, which I'm sorry, but that's quite all right. Delighted to talk about other aspects of work. from the rest of your, um, yeah, from your from your work. Yeah. In fact, you were part of the Marvel universe before, like the Marvel universe was even a universe. Yeah, like you were an early inductee. Yeah, I went into the audition like I did anything, mm. just knowing the lines, yeah. making a couple of choices, and then allowing myself to be directed in in the audition. Yeah, knowing nothing. Didn't know who Chris Evans was. Chris Evans to me was a ginger DJ that was famous in England. Oh, uh, that did talk shows. <laughs> And I was like, oh, you, who? What? I didn't knew nothing about the world of it. Never read a comic, yeah, a comic book in book. my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. no. And um, did you have to yeah. train a lot? So all the Marvel people have to be in the best shape of their lives. Yeah. For so years. I had Simon Waterson, who had trained Daniel Craig in, in Bond, mm -hmm. his first Bond. Um, yeah. And then part of my audition was to could I learn? Uh, could I learn unarmed combat? Could I learn how oh. to throw a punch without punching someone? And to um, <laughs> there was a sequence of loading and unloading guns, and just to see physically if I was able to move my body. In, That's part in of the audition. Yeah, yeah, it was part of the screen test. Yeah, they want like, you to be good at like fight choreography. Absolutely, and yeah. if you have very little coordination, then yeah. it's not going to look very convincing. If you have to do any physical kind gotcha. of work. 
That's so cool. a lot of my drama school training came in handy then when you're learning kind of how to have a neutral body as an actor's body. So you're learning how mm. to basic dance styles, but also unarmed combat. Mm. Um, one of the auditions for drama school actually was to run in a circle. The teachers wanted to see how we ran. And oh. one of my teachers said, if you can run, you can act. It, what? Was, it was very bizarre. And that was also just a lot about weight distribution, about posture, and about knowing, um, your, body. knowing your body, being yeah. in your body. And that huh. running in a circle uh, was a good indication of, of, you know, also if your head jutted forward, whether or not your center of gravity was oh, yeah. very in your head or whether your mm. your center of gravity seemed to come from your core. Yeah, um, there's that school of thought of theater of, of where you lead from, which body yeah. part do you, is your, um, yeah. I don't know what that's called. Yes, but, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but running, I've never heard of such uh, a thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Cause, and there's the dancing thing too, where like when someone tells you to dance, there's that theory that like you are, you want to know what a person's like. You we watch them dance. Yeah, and what they Free think about. Form. Yeah, what do you yeah. think about? What do they think about themselves? And totally. what do they think about in terms of? Do they have a sense of humor about themselves? Yeah. Do they want to be seen in a particular way? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. How comfortable are they? Uh, yeah. Being looked at in that way and like. Yeah. 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 Exactly. This is why I don't think I could ever be an actor because I don't think I can ever be like that. Oh God! Exposed and vulnerable. Me. Know? Sometimes I feel exactly the same. Sometimes <laughs> I have no idea how I am. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just kind of interested enough in it. I think to yeah. keep me going. Sure, sure, sure. Mm. And using your insecurities in your work. Yeah. You to do that. Doctor yeah. theater, as they call it. It's mm. yeah. It's uh, cool. very cathartic. Mm. Yeah. If you've had a bad day and you're going on stage that night, two things happen. One, you have to get over yourself, so you perform a play, mm. and you have put yourself in different emotional states than the one you you don't carry in yeah. the outside world into the stage. But secondly, it's very it can be very liberating. You know, you can really channel that therapeutic, um, that that you know that emotion into yeah. a scene if it's if it's appropriate for the scene. Yeah. yeah, I had a college professor who said like when you are when you have like a cold, that's not a day for you to sit out rehearsal. That's a day for you to come into rehearsal and to experiment in that character in those scenes mm. with a cold. Yeah, and see what changes about what emotions are you coming or coming up in that scene, mm-hmm. and that stretches you in the character, but it very much stretches you as a performer. Yeah, you're just making making it live, making it. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's something goes wrong on stage, how do you? You know, if you suddenly drop a prop, how do you, to, to instead of going? Yes. Oh, trying to deny that it's happened the audience can see that a mistake is made yes. so how do you incorporate that yes. into into the scene and make yeah. it feel believable without being too distracting they're all things That's that kind of come with actor. time yeah. mm. there's that story about the um, a phone ring on, on stage on some show and it was two actresses who apparently really didn't like each other but the phone rang at the wrong time and so they had to they obviously had to they couldn't ignore the phone ringing and so she one of the actors walked over and picked up the phone just to kind of roll with the scene and instead of um, cooperating in a way that would kind of diffuse the moment and make it all make sense, she said, it's for you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so mean. It's so, so mean. good, though. It's so good. good. <laughs> and I saw a show the other day where an actor just sneezed on stage and the other actor said, bless, bless you. Bless you. Absolutely. That's yeah. Brilliant. I remember seeing uh, my friend Jodie Whittaker. Yes. Uh, in, we were at drama school at the same time and she was in the... She was at the Globe, and mm-hmm. as you know, the Globe is an out, you know, so open. It's not got a roof on it. Mm-hmm. And um, she was doing this monologue. It was she's playing. It was in Pericles with Mark Rylance, and she has to oh come gosh. up from the ocean onto this desert island. And her and this other actress talk, talk about the fact that you know, is anyone can anyone help? Oh my mm. God, you know, how are we going to get off this island? And as she said something on that, a plane flew <gasps> by. And so she looked, and it was so loud, and the audience yeah. kind of look up. And so she just looks up, and she goes. <gasps> 
<gasps> and she just <sighs> waves as if to like trying to flag down this uh, this plane to try and make it come and save her. And she got a round of applause. Uh, it was such a brilliant moment of no of being that present enough yeah. that you're incorporating your environment into the scene. Love that. So clever. That is clever. She's such a good actor. There's that um apparently also, I think it was Lily Rabe. There's this um maybe Merchant of Venice when there's a speech about rain. Or um, tears, maybe? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it started yeah, yeah. raining at the moment yeah. she said that. And um, of course, she put her hands out like this. And that's another, like, ah! Yeah, I'm, I mean, amazing. It's kind of Magic ma- magical moments. Yeah. I want to see you on the stage. I wish I had gone to England to see you in this. this well, um, be, I can't. I d- it hasn't been announced yet, so I can't say what it is, but I'll be on stage in London September to December. I love being back on stage. I love the discipline and the hard work involved. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes me aware of what my limitations are, but it also makes me think mm-hmm. faster. Like, how can I do something creative with this with this line or in this moment? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. I love sparring off other actors. Uh, so this, you know, I think of the back of what I've just done, we've got this opportunity to now do this. So that's the other thing cool. about acting is kind of, you know, let the work speak for itself and mm. knowing that one piece of work might lead on to an opportunity sure. the next time. So always give it, kind of always give it your all. Yeah. Because uh, you don't know who's going to see it and what's going to come of it. So no, no matter how kind of small or uh, mm. the experience is or the part is or the play production is, you don't know yeah. what the effects are going to have. So just commit to it yeah. fully. Yeah, and it sounds like your kind of criteria for picking a role is it just has to be a... You, you're not interested in playing the sidekick, girlfriend, shallow, like your roles, uh, you pick the roles that are fully formed humans. Yeah, or that require me to uh, push myself. Yeah. And to, to right. work. Yeah. You know, I'm a worker bee. I have, I've got, that's my, that's what I want to do. I want to get out there and work, yeah. get on with my job. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. Great, is, thank uh, you. That was all like added bonus content that we'll throw That's, in. Uh-huh. In the Envelope and Awards podcast is recorded at Lotus Productions, Hyperbolic Audio, and Big Yellow Duck in New York City, and Soundbox LA, Mark Grouse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Like, rate, subscribe, tell your friends, and follow us on Twitter at In The Envelope. Thanks, as always, to producer, editor, and all-around podcast extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and thank you to the team at Backstage, the most trusted name in casting. That's Peter Rappaport, Rowan Al-Khatib, Francis Ramos, Caitlin Watkins, Lauren Rout, Mark Stinson, and especially Casey Howe. For more awards and industry coverage, head over to Backstage.com. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time for another glimpse in the envelope. <laughs>